Ooh, good morning, community of faith. How you doing this morning? Yeah, ready for the 4th of July? In-laws and outlaws coming over. You know, summer craziness, right? I think about our culture, and it's such a crazy thing right now. I, I don't know why this is, but we've gotten like just infatuated, like with all of these shows, like on HGTV and, and, and all those different channels, you know? And we'll just watch them by the hour. We watch this uh, petite little Japanese lady like folding clothes and, and, and putting them in drawers, Marie Kondo. And, and, you know, it's just like, I don't know what it is, with it, but we're going like, did you see how she folded those shorts? You know, and it, it, it's just like, it's so captivating. I think the reason why is because our lives feel a little bit out of control. And sometimes you just feel like if I could just organize my closet, right? If I could just organize the garage, if I could just, I mean, my marriage is on the rocks. I don't know where the kids are, but if I could just get my closet organized, right? You feel that way sometimes and it's just like, but that's really not the truth because we don't just need a reorganization. Reorganization is good. It's good to get things in order. But what Jesus talks about is really more a personal revolution. And there's a big difference. I want you to pull out your sermon notes because I want us to look at some simple, simple concepts that Jesus gave us to have a personal revolution in our lives. A revolution starts inside and works its way out. You know, if you want to reorganize, you can just buy a, a self-help book and kind of tweak around the edges. But Jesus said, I'm going to do some really profound work. Now, the thing about Jesus, it's profound, but it's so simple that a child can understand it. So let's look at four simple yet profound things that can begin the revolution for us. One, revolutionize my words. Write that down. Revolutionize my words. The way you speak to people, to yourself, to God. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37. He said, Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Wow. Wouldn't it be nice in our world if our yes just meant yes and our no, no? Wouldn't it be nice if there wasn't this credibility gap in the world? I mean, you look at Washington, D.C. and you're going like, is anybody speaking the truth, right? And sometimes you feel that way. You look at all different groups around and pastors aren't exempt. Who's speaking the truth right now? Who can I trust? And we start to get really cynical about it sometimes. But Jesus said, as a believer, what I want for you, you have me living inside of you. You've stepped into this journey with me full out. I want your yes to be yes and your no, no. I want you to just speak truth and you don't have to worry about the consequences. Just be honest. Now, it's so interesting because that is not how we're made, really, as human beings. A lot of people try to think human beings are basically good, and if we could just you know, have some of the right things around us, everything would be good, but the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that basically we're sinful. And I've noticed that you don't have to teach a two- or three-year-old to lie. Have you noticed that? I mean, they just, I mean, did you do that? No, I did not do that. Right? 
who did, you know, and it's, if they have a little brother like my granddaughter Zoe, you know, he's always in trouble because she always says it was him and had a big knot on his head the other day. And she, I said, what happened to Owen? And she said, I think he fell, you know. <laughs> but you have to teach him to tell the truth. Our whole system is built on a hierarchy of lies. The Bible says that, the, that Satan is the father of lies and he's the God of this world. So, you know, I, I just wonder sometimes what it would be like if for one day God just said, nothing's gonna be able to come out of your mouth unless it's the truth. And everybody tried to speak and all they could speak was truth. I think our whole system would collapse, don't you? I, I mean, because it's built on lies. I mean, you look at Washington, D.C., the Democrats would say, we really don't care if you colluded with Russia or not. We hate you. We want to get you out of office, right? Trump would say, well, I guess I can see why you hate me. I'm a tad bit egotistical, right? And then Hillary would say, well, about those emails, <laughs> Bill pipe up and go, I did have sex with that. No, you know, it's like, it's like it would just collapse. Everything would just collapse. And it's just built on this hierarchy of Another thing we do a lot of times besides the way, the way just we aren't truthful is sometimes some of us have trouble. We let our yes be yes and our no maybe, right? I, I mean, we have such a hard time saying no. Do some of you have a hard time saying no? You just, uh, so hard to say no. And, and the thing is every time that you say yes to something that's not important, you're saying no to something else that might be more important, right? So I want you just to practice it this morning. I want you just to repeat after me. No. no. One more time. No. no. Now look at your neighbor and say no. no. They didn't ask you anything, but. <laughs> Some of you are going like, I knew it was going to be a no. Yeah. <laughs> what separates peak performers from just regular folks? All of the studies show us that it's the ability to say no is one of the big things because we've got to say no to things that don't matter. I want us also to be honest in the way we talk to God. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You know, how do you talk to God? Do you talk to God? It's called prayer, but when you're praying, I mean, some people, they just try to be cool with God, you know, and call him like the big guy in the sky and, you know, and, uh, the man upstairs and little eight pound cute baby Jesus and stuff, you know? And, and, and so you're kind of being funny, but you're kind of uncomfortable, right? Others of us, we speak with flowery words and we use these and thou's, but it's not like a IRS form that we have to put every line exactly perfect, right? So how do you speak to God? What do you, what do you do? Jesus says, you wanna make things really simple? Well, what you do is you start on the inside. Look what he says. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. Wow. I don't know about you, but I need that. I think we all need that in our lives. One translation of this verse, Matthew 6, 5, it says, when you pray, go into your closet and talk to God. <clears throat> no, just organize your closet, organize it for the purpose of getting in there and 
talking to God. But the main reason is because you don't need anybody else. You're not doing it for anyone else. Sometimes we pray so that other people can hear how amazingly we pray. And God said, I'm not into that. How do you talk to God? Do you tell him what you think that you think that he thinks you should be thinking? You know, some of us are kind of scared of God. So we try to say things. You do that to me sometimes too. I'll meet you at the supermarket, you know, and you're going like, oh, I'm blessed, pastor. Are you blessed? Blessed day. And you say blessed like 15 times, but I don't think that's normal for you, you know? And I'm fine with it, but it's just kind of, you know, just speak normal. You don't want me to speak my normal stuff, you know? Because uh, I use God's name a different way or something. I don't know, but it, it's the whole thing is you don't have to put on a show with God. That's, that's the point. I mean, some of us, I think we try so hard in our prayers, like we got to get the passion up and all this kind of stuff. And, 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 and it's almost as if we're thinking God's going to look at our prayer and go, wow, that was an awesome prayer. Can you send me up a copy of that prayer? I'm going to put it right up here in my throne room, right by my original copy of Footprints, and I'm gonna put your prayer right here beside it, and it's, that's not, I, there was a guy I was, I was uh, reading, and uh, he said that he stayed in this hotel room for a conference, and he stayed in the same room as this guy that was known as an amazing prayer, a missionary that was known in this amazing prayer. And he couldn't wait till that night when they were gonna say their prayers together because he just thought, what's this gonna be like? He said, the guy got down on his knees, by his bed, said, if you'd like to pray with me. And then he said, he talked to God like a little child. I mean, he was just saying, God, this was a terrible day today. Or God, this was so hard. God, I don't even see how. And he was just stunned. I thought he was going to pray with all this great faith. That's not how you pray to a father that loves you like that. You know, he just loves you. Be honest with him. Be simple. Another thing I want you to revolutionize, not only the way that you speak your words, but revolutionize my relationships. Simplify the way you act in relationships with other people, especially relationships get so complicated. I, I remember the, the, the first time I sat down at one of those really fancy dinners, you know, and there was like celebrities around and stuff. And that is so, I hate, that's just not my element, you know? had on a tuxedo and it's like choking me and, and, and then the first little salad comes out and it looks like something that like you mowed in your yard kind of. Like there's stuff in it, like dandelions and you, do you eat that? I don't know. It's like the fancier you go, the more it looks like something in your yard, right? And, and, and then you're looking at all the utensils and I'm like utensily challenged, you know? And someone gave me a, a really easy rule. Because see, I'm going like, I don't know how to eat this tiny little mini corn thing that looks like corn on the cob. You've seen those things too, right? You, you, you don't, no, you don't, you don't do that. You start from the outside in. That's what, that's the easy rule of thumb. Start on the outside in. So like whatever comes first, you start on the outside with the utensils and work your way in until like there's a little fork up here or something, you know, maybe for dessert. And, and, and then you figured it out. I still don't know where the bread goes and I eat other people's bread and stuff like that. But I think that's a good rule of thumb. Jesus gives us one. Look at this. He gives us a rule of thumb for relationship. He said, here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. 
Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do for them. It's called the golden rule. It's, it's, it's really a pretty amazing concept and it's really limited to the Bible. Did you know that? It was established by Jesus. I mean, human religions, human philosophies, they have a negative of this in almost every single one of the philosophies or religions that you find in the world out there. Let me show you what I mean. If you study philosophy or, or religion, the Hebrew rabbi Hillel had this negative principle. He said this, what is hateful to yourself, do not to someone else. So it's the negative of that. It's a don't principle. Don't do, refrain from doing. In the book of Tobit, it says, what thou thyself hatest to no man do. The Septuagint scholars of Alexandria who wrote the Greek Old Testament that we get the Vulgate from, and, and it's real important, especially for Catholics, said this, as you wish that no evil befall you, but to be a partaker of good things, so you should act on the same principle toward your subjects and offenders. In other words, you don't want any evil on you, don't do evil to anybody else. You go to the Orient, Confucius said, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. So every one of these things is a don't do, it's a withholding, it's passive. And the whole world knows how to not do. And it's a really common principle. You find it in all kinds of systems, but it's passive, it's, it's negative. And basically, it, it is, we're able to do that one because we're basically selfish. Did you know that? If you wanna know how to define man and woman at our root, selfishness is there. I mean, why are the first few years of marriage so hard? How many of you would say the first few? No, you don't have to raise your hand, all right? Some of you are going, ah. But it's because we're both selfish and we realize how selfish we are. We both want our own way, right? And it's just like, this is, there's two people wanting one person's own way, but it's not, I did not realize how selfish Laura was at all until <laughs> we got married. She didn't seem that selfish, you know? That's why, but don't do this. It, it, it's because if you do, well, it might happen back to you. I mean, like you might say, I'd like to deck that guy, but you don't not deck him, you know, not out of love. It's, it's out of self-preservation because you too have a nose, right? You think it might come back on you. I, I, I mean, I always said, if I'm gonna pick a fight, it's gonna be with somebody smaller than me who's had a recent illness, you know? <laughs> I feel better about that self-preservation, right? But it knows nothing of selfless love. Every once in a while, we can stumble on a selfless deed, but it's, it's, not, a, it's not a pattern of life, all right? I drive my car carefully most of the time. And I many times go the speed limit. I try to go the speed limit. Why though? It's not because I love the law. It's because I'm afraid I'm gonna get caught by some of these constables that are out there, you know, and, and, um, and they might be tough on me because they know, pastor, we're giving you a double fine, you know? I don't know. And I mean, they've got all those cars out there now. They've got like the ghost car. Have you seen that one? It's the one that is all white, but if you look at it in just the right light, all of a sudden it says sheriff, right? I mean, you, you're gonna get caught by some of that stuff, right? So I drive my car carefully, but that's, that's not the same thing. That's, that's out of fear. That's not the same thing as going down 
and, and picking up a Prairie View student who doesn't have a car and saying, I'm going to come pick you up every Sunday, even though it's 20 or 25 minutes out of my way and bring you to church. That's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about using our cars. So you see the, the, the difference there. It's, it's not passive, you know. Last week we talked about the things that were going to last and things that weren't going to last. And I gave out money. You remember that? Some of you were here. That's why some of you came back, right? You thought, oh, maybe, no. Uh, what's so funny in this service, when I gave out money, nobody, I said, I had $300, who wants it? And y'all all stood there like, because you're going, he's going to trick me. He's going to trick me. And only Carol Strong had enough courage to get up. She goes, oh, it's $300, I'll take it, you know? What's crazy is that God was involved in all of that, even with her. I said, I want you to give it to someone or something that's going to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And she had already talked to someone that day. In fact, listen to her story. Hi, my name is Carol Strong, and my husband Garrett Strong and I, along with our daughter Sydney, have been members of Community of Faith for nearly 10 years. On Sunday, Mark gave me $300 and asked me to be a blessing to someone other than myself. Uh, well, I immediately knew who I was going to give that $300 to because as I had walked down from Tunnel 3 to Tunnel 4, I was praying for one of my fellow greeters, and his name is Robert, and I was praying about his finances as well as his health and was asking God to just bless him and to help him with his situation that he is currently in. So when Mark gave me this money, I knew that this money was meant to go to Robert. Right after service, one of our dear friends gave me an additional $100 to add to my $300. So after the 930 service, I spoke with Robert and I gave him the total of $400 and told him that I had been praying for him and that God had been answering his prayers with this financial blessing. This is what I did with the money that Mark gave me. Isn't that awesome? Made with her own iPhone, right there. But uh, also Alexis in the, in the service on Saturday night, take a look at what Alexis did. I gave her money and she was out helping a family that was a victim of Hurricane Harvey and still hasn't got their house put together. And those little kids, they didn't have any toys at all. They said there was not a to single toy in the house and she and the other teenagers went to Walmart and Target and got some toys for those kids with her money. So isn't that amazing? That's pretty cool. Roman is the guy that got the money in the last service. I think he's in the Bahamas. I haven't seen him since. <laughs> Maybe he'll be here. Roman, if you're here, I'm kidding. You know, come up and see me, all right? But the thing is, it's not hard, is it? It's not that difficult. They say, no, if you'll give me $300, I'll go do it. No, I'm talking about it's really not to buy toys for a family that doesn't have anything. Or, or to care about each other and be there for each other in our times of need. A lot of times we live by different rules than the golden rule. We live by the rule, I'll treat you like you treat me. And we do that in marriage. That's guaranteed. You'll have a marriage that might last seven years if you're lucky. All right? If you follow that rule. You've got to go beyond that, Jesus said. When we saw the Batwa from Burundi. Now, a lot of you are not familiar with them, but we started working with them about a decade ago now. And they really are, I mean, they, they're called the little people over there because they, they used to be called the pygmies, but they're the most discriminated against in the world. And 
when we started walking in business with them, everything changed. And it's been such an amazing ride with them. We've done mission right with them. It's a real friendship. It's a business partnership and a friendship. And through that, they've come into relationship with Christ and so many other things, but it's a real even thing. Francois is one of their chiefs. He was the little guy in the front with the big brown jacket on. I mean, he's, he's only comes up to about here on me. And you look at him and you think, oh, you're so cute, even though he's like 50, you know. But he, he also, he, he's just wise. When they first moved on to their new land, we gave them a, a $300,000 loan and they were gonna grow crops and they were gonna make soap and they were gonna build bricks and they, and they make like $100 a year a family. So I thought, okay, a $300,000 loan from Community of Faith, that means they'll pay us back in about, well, 7,000 years, you know? They paid us back in five years. Now, we didn't bring the money back. We just kept it in Burundi going over and over and over. You have a bank there now that's given out $300,000 a month in loans to the under-resourced. It's an amazing thing that God's doing there. And their dream is to give back to Houston $2 million to do ministry around here. Is that crazy? From the poorest country in the world. Well, they got on this mountain. It's called Matara. And it's a beautiful mountain with streams and stuff. And uh, there were two other mountains around. Well, the Hutus and the Tutsis are the other two tribes that have always discriminated against them. And when they first got there, they don't even think that, that the Batwa are people. They call them dogs. And this is how they approached them. And, and so then they went to the magistrate as soon as the Batwa had started growing crops and they were growing crops. And they said, the Batwa came in the night and stole our squash, which was a total fabricated lie. But the magistrate went to Francois and he said, they say that you stole in their squash. And he said, how many did they say we stole? And he said, 30. He said, we'll give them 50. And he gave them 50. Then they came back the next week and say, the Batwa came in the night and stole our potatoes. And he came to Francois again, the magistrate, and he said, how many did they say that we stole it? 50. We'll give them 100. They came the next week and said, the Batwa, and the magistrate goes, shut up. I don't believe that for a minute, you know. But as the Batwa began to rise socioeconomically, they began to have all the business. And I thought, uh-oh, now it's going to turn. Now it's their turn to get back at these people who for a thousand years have held them under their thumb. But they didn't do that. They hired them on and they blessed them and they walked with them and they worked with them. And it's been the most amazing thing. And, and I asked Francois about it and, and he said, how could we not do that? How could we not, the way Jesus has treated us and the way he's used y'all to treat us, how could we not just pass that on to everyone around us? And I said, thank God they didn't become Americans, right? You know, because it would have just been like, ah, we got you now, right? But they, they didn't do that. In fact, there's three mountains and what the people of the other two mountains said, only one is a Twa mountain. They said, we want Batwa judges now on all of our mountains because they're the only ones that are fair. We're not fair. We cheat each other and we all look out for our own self, but they care about everybody. Is that an amazing thing that's happening there? See, I love that when God's doing stuff like that. Jesus said it this way. Do you want to stand out? Then step down, be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. Want your life to count? You know, it can be so uncomplicated. 
What is it that you would like to see happen in your life? Look around and see other people that need that same thing. And instead of doing it for yourself, do it for them and watch what happens and watch how God takes care of you. And by the way, you know, Jesus said, there's no better way to stand out in this world to make impact than doing that. Number three, revolutionize my pace, the pace of life, the hurriedness of life, the hectic lives we live. We get so busy. We don't even, I mean, we can't even get off our phones. Have you, you know, it's like some of you right now, you're like texting God, I think, you know, I can see you out there. You don't think I can see, but I can see. And uh, you can text me right now. And, uh, you know, the thing is, it's like I was in a, a, a bathroom one day and, and, and someone said, hey, and I, went, I was washing my hands and out of the stall, hey, hey, do you want to go out Friday night? I realized he's talking on his phone to somebody after that, you know, and, and I was thinking, can't even get, you know, what has come to our, our culture has come to this place where we can't even rest in the restrooms, right? I mean, and, and, and so we're just busy all the time. I also wondered, how do you explain like the flush, you know? I mean, it comes to that point, you go, oh, I'm in a, a car wash or sudden thunderstorm. I don't know, but here's the thing. Jesus understood that we need to disconnect sometimes. Look what he said. He only lived 33 years, only three years in ministry. And look at the profound impact that he made. But I want you to circle three things in this verse. It says this, then because many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Circle three things. I know some of you want to circle chance to eat, but not yet. Okay. (laughs) Circle with me. I need to have a time with Jesus, circle by yourselves alone and circle a quiet place. Let me give you a place to start. Millions of believers for the last couple of thousand years have had a time each day in their life where they spend just a little bit of time with God. Some of them call it a quiet time based off of this in a quiet place. And what do you do there? You read the Bible a little bit and you pray. And how do you pray? Not flowery, just like we talked about, okay? So I want to give you an assignment, all right? If you're willing to take an assignment from me this week, even though school's not in, right? That is, I want you to read the book of Philippians. Where is that? Look in the front of your Bible. It has all of the books and where they are. Find Philippians, Philip, Philippians, okay? Philippians, it's Paul's letter to the Philippians, and it's called the Joy Book. And I want you just to read a little bit from each uh, chapter each day this week, I'm not talking about more than three or four minutes, okay? And then I want you to do one other thing. I want you to get a little journal or at least some paper or something, and I want you to write down five things that you're grateful to God for in your life. Each day, I want you to write that down, a little gratitude journal. I started doing this. I was kind of in a, in a mood not too long ago, just to, felt depressed almost, and I started doing that. And can I tell you, it, looked, it took like, two days and everything lifted. I I just want you to try this. I'm not saying an hour, two hours. I'm saying 15 minutes. Okay. And if you can make that a habit, it will change your life. It will change everything for you. I want to encourage you to do that. Philippians 4, 8 says, fix your thought on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That's that gratitude journal, okay? Thank you, God, for what you've done. I just wanna thank you, because we tend to look at the negative 
And we've got so much that God's doing in our lives, but we don't see it. Lastly, revolutionize my faith. We make belief so complicated. The first followers of Jesus tried to complicate faith. They, they, look at Matthew 18. It says, at that time, the followers came to Jesus and asked him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were trying to set up a complicated hierarchy. Like, you know, we need a pope or a rabbi or a priest or a pastor or a guru or something. Somebody to make this more complicated. And Jesus wasn't about to let that happen. So what does he do? Jesus called a little child to him and stood the child before his followers. I mean, a little child, okay? And then he said, I tell you the truth, you must change and become like little children. Otherwise, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The greatest person in the kingdom of heaven is the one who makes himself humble like this child. He's saying, don't worry about who's the greatest. You're not even getting in unless you do this. The greatest person in the kingdom of heaven is humble like this child. You want an uncomplicated faith? You know, it's so interesting to me that when you tell a child about God, that should be really difficult to grasp, but they always grasp it quickly, right away. It just makes like intuitive sense to them, God and who he is and what he's about. I mean, it takes effort cultivated over the years and, and you know, and study and all this stuff to, to try to move a different direction to doubt the existence of God. But it, it, it's not complicated. It's not hard. And the thing is, kids, they don't put on airs, do they? I mean, you never see a group of people out to lunch after a Sunday service and the four-year-old goes, I'll pick up the tab on this. Check me out, you know. He's not gonna do, he's just gonna go like, hey, I'm gonna eat, but somebody's gonna take care of it, right? And that's what we're supposed to do with God. I just need you. Like that missionary that was that amazing prayer. God, I need you desperately. God, it was a tough day today. God, this is how it felt today. It's so interesting that Jesus, when he frames the universe, he says it's like, it's like a house. It's like my father's house. And, and, and I want you to come and be with me forever. You've got a loving father that cares about you and he wants to know you and he's interested in you. And I've come to tell you that. And it's important that you get that because science would say it's this big impersonal machine that's just grinding away, you know, and we get ground under the wheels of it. And God's going, no, that's not how I created this thing. This, I'm your father. Little girl, I see what you're going through right now. Little boy, I, I see your tears in the night that no one else sees because you think that real men don't cry. But I'm telling you, I know and I'm here and I care. I didn't say it would be easy. I said you would have trouble in this world. You'll have tribulation, but I'm here. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. To have, to be like a child, you have to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. See, it's not enough just to believe that the God of the Bible exists. It's not enough to believe the God of the Bible came to earth in his son, Jesus, and did what Christ did. There's one other element it says when you seek him, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The prophet Jeremiah said it this way, speaking for God. God spoke to the prophet and said to the people, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. So what's the reward? He is, you will find 
me. I want you just to close your eyes with me for a minute. You have a father that loves you. I mean, he really loves you. I know you got a lot of doubts and you got a lot of hurts. And maybe your family of origin here on this old earth wasn't what it should have been. But let me just tell you something that's not God. He loves you. And he says, if you can just be a child before me, just be yourself before me. I already see what you're thinking. Some of you just need to get in your closet today or some quiet place somewhere. And you just need to say, God, I am so mad at you right now. But you're going, oh, I'll never be mad at God. But you're mad. You're mad at God. He's sovereign. He's the Lord of the universe. And this happened to you. I'm mad at God. It's okay. My kids... When they were about three, a lot of times they would say, I don't get ice cream. What are you talking about? I hate you, dad. I'm so mad. Well, I knew it's the same way with God. He sees a bigger picture. He sees more than we do. But he said, it's going to be hard. He said, it's going to be difficult. But he said, I'm your father, little girl. I'm your father, little boy. And I want to walk with you. I want you to find him as your reward in this life. It's the only thing that makes life what it should be. Everything else begins to fall into place as you do that. Your words and your relationships and even the pace of your life as your faith seeks hard after him and knows that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Father, let us seek your face. Let us seek your heart and let us find you. God, I ask for everyone in this room, everyone that's hearing me online right now, I just ask that we would find you because you are the great reward. Be that for us this week as we have a daily time with you, as we write in our gratitude journal, as we do these things, God, meet us there. In Jesus' name, amen.